RiskWatch is a due diligence and compliance podcast featuring interviews with leading compliance, investigations, and research professionals to shed light on global corruption and compliance-related issues. RiskWatch is brought to you by VCheck Global, a business-to-business provider of due diligence, background checks, employment screening, document retrieval, and specialized research of both business entities and individuals. Seth Harland here of VCheck Global. And today, we're joined by Shanti Salas, VP, North America for Open Corporates, and Rahul Ravi, VP and General Manager of VCheck Intelligence for VCheck Global. Both Shanti and Rahul have been practitioners in the reputational due diligence space, where their work covered issues including KYC, AML, and third-party risk management across supply chains. We're going to learn about open corporates and discuss data transparency, including obstacles to data transparency, how transparent company data enhances due diligence investigations, the shift from opaque to transparent data, and the future of corporate data and investigations. Shanti, let's kick off. Can you tell us what is open corporates? Sure. Simply put, Open Corporates is the largest open database of legal entities and companies in the world. And what's the company's mission and why is it so important today? Open Corporates' mission is to massively increase transparency of the corporate world for the benefit of all. And really critical to this is opening up information about the existence, the ownership, the activities of legal entities and the people connected with them. Let's delve into some obstacles to transparency. Do you want to kick it off, Shanti? Sure, sure. Some obstacles to transparency. I think the first big one is really the lack of openly accessible company data from company registers, which are really the point of incorporation for any legal entity. Historically, there has not been necessarily much transparency around this, and That information is very rarely, historically at least, published as machine-readable open data. Traditionally, this has been information that has, years back, kept in filing cabinets, and in some cases in jurisdictions, it is still kept solely in filing cabinets in a paper form. Other obstacles would be paywalls behind that information, where, let's say, only a sliver might be released publicly. And then there's sort of a paywall access to get access to anything more than that. So it's sort of various layers of obstacles oftentimes. One of the things I'd like to, you know, ask you about Shanti is sort of a lot of people when they say obstacles of transparency or not transparent data, the first thing that comes into mind is maybe some obscure jurisdiction or a jurisdiction without an open government. But even, you know, in the United States, we have 50 states with 50 different corporate registries. And, you know, there are some that are notorious for being sort of opaque on purpose because that's where corporations like to incorporate. You know, we'll talk about Delaware. We might as well name names if we're here. So how have you guys sort of gotten around that or sort of worked with those registries to incorporate that info? Because a country like the United States, which is mostly seen as pretty transparent when it comes to corporate data, from a practitioner standpoint, there are there are a lot of obstacles there. So I was wondering how you approach that specifically domestically for the U.S. That information, as you mentioned, I mean, each secretary of state collects and publishes that information in a slightly different way, both in terms of sort of how they do it, how they define attributes for a company, whether it's active, whether they collect and publish, let's say, officers, directors, or just a registered agent. 
right? And those laws differ from state to state, and few states uh, you know, are going to collect and publish shareholders explicitly, very, very few in the United States. So it's certainly a challenge, right? And it involves a continuous effort of collection and focus across these jurisdictions. And can you touch on just the prevalence of opaque company data from third-party data providers? Yeah. Traditionally, a company data, it has lacked provenance, right? There's, there's rarely been, let's say, a clear model of provenance around that data. And this is just so important. And, and I'll dive a bit more into this. But what we mean by provenance is data that has a direct and clear line of sight to the official registry source and a timestamp, time and date stamp of when it was collected. So that provenance needs to be there really down to the record basis, record by record basis, and oftentimes embedded in the metadata. And that is a very, very rare thing that is just not seen traditionally with data providers. I think when we think of sort of traditional data brokers that provide company data, a lot of that information comes from self-disclosure. It's not necessarily verified against an underlying authoritative official governmental registry. And it has percolated over time, right? Because it's very, very hard to know when exactly that data was collected or when a piece of self-disclosed information was collected for a company. So what that has led to is really sort of compounding of errors and data quality issues with a lot of traditional data brokers. Do you mind just explaining for our listeners, what are the differences between transparent company data and opaque yeah, what we really mean by transparent data is data with provenance, as I mentioned, but also data that is well-structured around a legal entity. And this is very, very important because legal entities are what are afforded unique rights in our society. Legal entities are what organizations buy from, sell to, finance, sign contracts with, and, and legal entities are commonly abused as synthetic getaway vehicles to hide illicit activities. So when we talk about transparent data, we talk about data that is well-modeled around a legal entity, and also data that has an open non-proprietary identifier attached to it. And this is also very important, right? I mean, it's an open non-proprietary identifier is really kind of a bridge that allows one to connect disparate data sets. And sort of proprietary identifiers for legal entities can restrict the kind of easy reuse and remixing and creativity that comes with attempting to triangulate different data sources. So that's really what we mean by transparent data. Rahul, can you touch on some challenges affecting due diligence and investigations stemming from a lack of transparency in data? Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the challenges we face when we do research domestically or internationally. On the domestic side, a lot of companies, a lot of corporations do incorporate in Delaware. And it's always tough to sort of get the records and the information that we need or our clients expect when it comes to dealing with the Delaware Secretary of State, you know, we can get sort of certificates of good standing, but anything else kind of requires a manual pull that require, that takes about four to six weeks. And it can get very expensive. But, you know, one of the things that we found to get around one of these challenges is kind of using other states' corporate registrations to, to kind of backdoor into Delaware records. So if a company is domiciled or, or incorporated in Delaware, but they have foreign registrations in a state like Florida or California, some of those documents might be required to incorporate in Florida in California, so you can find the records there. But a lot of the challenges come from the fact that 
a lot of the data and the things that we need to create, you know, a product that gives our clients information they need is disparate, right? And it's in a lot of places and you have to kind of connect the dots to put together a story. And that's one of the biggest challenges, even in the United States, but mostly in other countries, especially China, finding corporate registration data in China, it is pretty robust, but you have to go through a lot of hoops to put together a narrative that makes sense. You know, you can look at shareholder information and you can look at where people are hold shares and then kind of do like a branch tree like that and figure out everyone's shareholdings and how something is structured. But it is generally difficult when the data is not transparent. When it is transparent, when you have a data registry like Companies House or something of that nature, it becomes a lot easier to identify the individuals behind entities. It becomes easy to identify other entities that individuals may own or hold control portions of. And so transparency is really important to figuring out the story behind the entity or the person you're looking at. And the challenges that Shanti mentioned with data provenance and that I mentioned with jurisdictional differences really pose a wall between the due diligence investigator and finding the information they need. And a lot of times it just takes a little bit of sleuthing and a lot of putting the puzzle pieces together to produce that kind of complete story. And that story, that complete story, in many cases, it's a cross-jurisdictional story. Right. And traditionally, this involves sort of record by record, very labor and time intensive research, investigation and analysis to put that together. What are some examples of transparent company data aiding in investigations? Sure. One of the big ones that, that a group called the Anti-Corruption Data Collective published in conjunction with the Miami Herald earlier this year was looking at Paycheck Protection Program money that was provided to approximately 600,000 legal entities. They, they took that data from the Small Business Administration, and they were able to do some amazing kind of anti-fraud analysis by combining it with open corporates data. And what they essentially did was they looked at that data, and they wanted to ask questions at scale and very systematically. Are these legal entities that receive this money, are they duly incorporated where they claim to be. Number one, that's a very simple question to ask, but to answer that question at scale traditionally has been tricky. And two, were these entities incorporated shortly before they applied for Paycheck Protection Program money? Obviously, that's a massive red flag. And that, of course, opens the door for other questions. Who are the people connected to these legal entities that did that? What is their track record? What is their background? What other legal entities have they been involved in? And that is a kind of investigation that it's been labor-intensive in the past, but by providing sort of a transparent data set, triangulating that with the Small Business Administration, they were able to get some results in kind of unprecedented time. Rahul, how about from your experience at VCHAC? Yeah, I think one of the things that, like I said, is kind of getting view behind the entity or the person in question that we're doing investigation on or due diligence project on. And a recent example that we had is actually, it comes from using Open Corporate's database. Specifically, we had a client who asked for a view into Subject A and a company that Subject A owns and operates. And so the first thing we do is look at the corporate registration for Subject A's company. And what we found in the corporate registry in question was that Subject A owned the company, but there was also Subject B who owned a certain percentage of that company as well. And it didn't seem like the client was aware of Subject B because they didn't ask for a background on Subject B. So 
a lot of corporate registration databases, official ones, unfortunately don't have reverse directorship searches. So I can't search for a person and find companies that they're associated with. And so the researcher in question went to Open Corporate's website and put in the person's name that we are investigating, subject A, found several other companies that they had registered recently or had registered in the past and operated in the past. But the really important data that came from this was that subject B was also involved in those companies. So the question became, what is subject B's involvement in these companies? Because ostensibly, subject A and his companies were clean. But subject B, why was he in the background? Why was he hidden? And so subject B, we did some cursory research and found that he had worked with subject A at a company maybe 20 or 15 years in the past, but was indicted for charges of fraud and something and other sort of malfeasance. So he has been sort of lurking in the background of subject A's companies for a while. And we don't know, we went back to the client and said, hey, this person is a shareholder of these four or five companies, including the one that you're looking into. And so that helped us expand the scope of the project. But it also helped the client understand that there was another party behind these transactions that they might not have been aware of initially. And without sort of transparent corporate data, without the ability to do that reverse directorship search, and without the ability to do the reverse directorship search that spans different jurisdictions, that would have been a really time and labor intensive sort of endeavor, especially because the companies weren't, had no name relationships. You know, they weren't like ABC1, ABC2, ABC3. They just had very different names that we couldn't connect otherwise. One hot topic today is ESG. Shanti, how has Open Corporate's data been used to support ESG initiatives? Yeah, and by that, environmental, social, and governance, right? Oftentimes, that is looking at a supply chain for a particular product or service and really understanding the legal entities that are involved in that supply chain. And supply chains can be incredibly extensive and complex. But we provided assistance to an initiative called Trace Finance to help them better understand legal entities involved in deforestation. And they were able to take open corporate's legal entity data and combine it with import-export data, bills of lading. And bills of lading are oftentimes ambiguous about legal entities that they refer to. But by combining data sets, they were able to come up with a much more robust picture of the companies, the legal entities, and the individuals who are affiliated with deforestation. So I think it really speaks to the fact that investigations And the magic behind a good investigation often comes from triangulating different data sets and analyzing that, right? It's really the ability to bring often disparate data sets together and bring them together easily, right? Touching on the wider shift from opaque to transparent data, why is this so important for the due diligence and anti-financial crime community? A lot is riding on it. Regulatory burdens are increasing and becoming more extensive, not less extensive for companies. And we've certainly seen this around mandates for greater due diligence around supply chains because of ESG concerns. We recently saw this over the summer with a new law that Germany passed, and we expect this will continue. So the the regulatory demand for due diligence will continue to extend. And I think the the other important piece of this is that due diligence is no longer really conceptualized. It's just a snapshot in time, right? It's often periodic and often ongoing, right? Due diligence has to happen on an ongoing basis. 
And really to do that, one has to have the right data to be able to do that on an ongoing basis. Staying current with technology is a priority for so many industries, including due diligence. How does transparent company data enable tech-driven approaches to investigations, such as the automation of due diligence? Yeah, I think it's really a question of scale, right? With transparent company data, one can really scale up and understand sort of a bigger data set or a bigger target set, and one can can find let's say, areas for a well-seasoned investigator to focus in on, right, and really spend sort of their brain power. That can be done when you bring together disparate data sets, oftentimes with powerful graph and network analytics tools, but they have to be hydrated with good data. That really is the fuel behind them. But that is an area where I think due diligence practitioners overall can be aided. Yeah, I think it it comes down to a relationship between the due diligence and the speed of business. The speed of business is always is always going to move at as fast a pace as it can, right? And we're not trying to make due diligence the speed bump to any sort of transaction that needs to take place. And I think one of the one of the key factors in, in helping due diligence keep pace and investigations keep pace with the speed of business is research automation. And I think a lot of the benefits that come with that and having transparent corporate data is that, like I said before, this has traditionally been a really labor-intensive way to do things, even with databases that collate a lot of corporate records. But the ability for an automation tool to kind of search corporate records and to put together a relationship map that Shanti, like Shanti just mentioned would really do a lot of the front-end work in terms of finding ultimate beneficial ownership to kind of find the face behind the entities and to sort of pierce any sort of corporate veil that might exist in terms of who are the people behind the business. Obviously, there's going to be limitations to that, right? You're always going to have to have a human behind the scenes making an analytic choice or making an analysis or doing analysis to to make sure that the results that come back are adjudicated appropriately and that aren't just kind of, they're not just output put out by a computer. Because like Shanti said, the quality of the data that hydrates these databases really determines the quality of the output. And sometimes if the quality of the databases aren't great or if the source isn't great or if there's some sort of challenge to transparency, that's going to be the human analysis portion that comes in and kind of asks the question, well, this doesn't seem correct. And so how do we remediate that? And those are the challenges going forward. But I think that, you know, any sort of due diligence automated tool is going to have to require, you know, transparent, good, transparent, open corporate data to kind of fill that gap between due diligence and the speed of business. Building on the incorporation of technology into due diligence investigations, what do you both see as the future of corporate data and investigations? I see it being further incorporated into graph and network analytics. I think that's a trend that we've seen some very positive outcomes from, and I think it will continue. I think that that relationship will just become tighter and tighter and tighter, simply because you can put so many different data sets into graph and network analytics tools. And as I mentioned before, the magic really comes from triangulation, right? And the analysis that flows from that when you can triangulate disparate data sets. So the ability to continue to do that and do it at scale and do it quickly with a lot of different data sets will provide sort of good leads for investigators to focus in on. This has been such an insightful conversation. Before we wrap up, are there any parting notes you both would like to leave for our listeners? I think it's very important when evaluating 
any kind of tool that is used, let's say, for investigative research, for due diligence. It's just important to ask the question about the origin and the provenance of the data. And not simply corporate data, but all data, right? Is there a transparent line of sight into the origins of that data? And when it was collected, I think we're going in a direction where the demands around provenance of data and having sort of clearly defined models around that data is only going to increase. So I would encourage any listener to, to ask those questions and ask them aggressively. I totally agree. I think that there's so much information out there, probably more information than there ever has been out there. And that, that, continues, that trend is going to continue. But by the second, I think that changes, right? The universe of available data just keeps expanding. But the question becomes, like Shanti said, is what is the reliability of that information? Does that database have access to the information that you need? And where is it coming from? And I think any sort of due diligence investigator is going to ask those questions and think about it and keep that in the back of their mind, especially in jurisdictions where maybe the state or the government can't be trusted. Taking their word at face value becomes a little bit more difficult. So it's taking what's available and then running it against other streams of information to make sure that you're corroborating the evidence and, and the maps and the data analytics that, that you've put together. I think without that, you're just kind of, without that level of analysis, we just kind of turn into robots just repeating what's what's online. And, and that's not, I don't think that's, that's the mission of any due diligence or, or open corporate data provider that's out there. But that, I think that's the question that needs to be asked. I think Chanti is totally right. Well, thank you both for sharing your experiences and insights. A big thank you to our listeners. And for more information on VCheck and Open Corporates, check out vcheckglobal.com and opencorporates.com. Looking forward to our next episode. Bye, guys.